0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: Well, spring is here in Sydney and I can see groundsmen are rolling wickets and marking creases, much to Johnny Besto's dismay. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes. I'm joined by my new co-host, cricket commentator and cricket expert, Gav Joshi. Gav, how are you?
2: I'm well, Menes. Um,
1: How are you? You're looking better in that studio. I think your voice has a different tone to it when you're in that studio. Absolutely. We've got all the soundproofing here and great microphones. But yeah, really, um, we're we're back on a sort of regular recording schedule now. The Mm -hmm. ashes is over. We've had a little bit of a a wild August getting Stuart McGill on the show and Jackson Bird and Kumar Sangakkara, But now the cricket news is coming thick and fast and we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got um, the Australian performance in South Africa where they absolutely smashed them in the recent T20 series that ended this morning, our time. There was also the BBL and WBBL draft overnight and some other bits of cricket news. Also, I spoke to rising young leg spinner Tanvir Sanger, so we've got a few minutes with him to play later on. But, Gab, before we get into all that, how are you feeling about uh, the, the impending cricket season? I mean, there's a lot to be excited for. We've got a, a, a massive 50-over World Cup, and at the same time, Australia's domestic season will kick off.
2: Yeah, we touched on the, on the show last week, Metas. Um Look, I think it's just what's going to happen in the white ball format. I think it... The summer seems so distant at the moment, especially in August. Well, we're turning into September now, but you know, you look at newspapers and cricket, it's still in the not quite in the even in the back four or five pages. Um, a little bit of discussion on radio, but yeah, I, and I feel the same as, as as the public. I think a lot of interest around the footballing codes and finals at the moment. Um, but I, I think we'll warm to cricket. I think I think the you know, it, it, it's weird because I think normally you have the mains, you know, you have the entrees and the mains. So I think we've got the mains first here with the Cricket World mm-hmm. Cup and a bit of the entrees coming up a bit later with, you know, with Pakistan and I think, uh, you know, everything about David Warner's uh, retirement and everything, whether it gets picked or not, I think that's something in the distant future. I think they'll always – and I think it's going to be a quick transition. I think the day the NRL grand final, the AFL grand final finishes – the World Cup, I think it's just going to be a quick switch over.
1: Absolutely. It's a bit like the way the Ashes ended and then everyone got swept up in Matilda's fever, mm-hmm. now you've yes. got the footy finals. And, you know, Australians are very, I would say, seasonal-based. Like, I'm obviously a cricket tragic, a cricket obsessive. I will watch and listen all the time. But a lot of Australians, as soon as footy's over, they pull out the stumps and put them in the backyard, and the backyard cricket games start. So, yeah, that's already very I've imminent.
2: I've already seen my, my coaching clinics. I've already seen you know, the adjacent nets picking up. You know, parents are out there at about 4 p.m. after school. So I know it's been a big change in the last 10, 12 days.
1: Absolutely. All right. Now let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast, my podcast production company based in Ultimo. If you need a podcast to produce, head to piccolopodcast.com.au. All right, now let's get into the review of the South African T20 series that was just completed. Australia dominated, winning all three games, a complete performance. And, Gab, I thought this was really encouraging because some people have pointed out that South Africa didn't have their strongest side, but neither did Australia. And and we were superb in all facets, bat and ball, in the field. It was incredible stuff.
2: Well, what is the strongest side? I mean, we touched on it last week, Menes, with just three different formats, so many franchise cricket, a team apart from a World Cup, I doubt are going to put their strongest team on the paddock, especially in, in T20 cricket around the world. So uh, I, I see it as an opportunity. I, you just look at someone like, you know, Mitch Masters captaincy, we'll get to that, but, you know, Sean Abbott, Nathan Ellis, and yet you said about 10 V Zanga. Uh, at Matt Short you know so yeah look I, I enjoyed it I, I thought you know just to have other cricketers you can watch there's just so much cricket at the moment uh, but it's you know it's refreshing because all our focus has been on Manus and Smith and Warner and you sort of go in there and he's the new sort of group of course different formats but I think even as us as, as sort of cricket followers listeners we work in the industry it's we're still getting to that point where we have to realise that, you know, if we see David Warner and Steve Smith next match, we're not going to see those guys for Australia. And I think we're still getting used to that, having raised in the, you know, the '90s and early 2000s, and even till sort of ten years ago.
1: You're right. You did. That this this team, um, a lot of youngsters, a lot of big bash stars, given an opportunity, yeah. and I think it was fantastic. Um, so, uh, look, rather than go through each game individually, I thought we'd just take a holistic approach and look at the whole series. So, Australia won all three games. Uh, they batted first in the first game and set a uh, two hundred and twenty-seven huge total. Uh, Mitch Marsh and Tim David, the destroyers there. And then in the next two games, Australia chased down two targets pretty comfortably with some exciting batting. So clearly the standout with the bat for Australia was their captain, Mitch Marsh. He averaged 186 for the series, a blistering 92 not out in the first game, followed that up with a half century in the second game. And he's just continuing that form we saw in the Ashes, which was so impressive, Um, He hits the ball hard. He seems to be thriving with the leadership. And he now is such a vital cog to both T20 and one-day sides and maybe even the test side because of the power, the brutality. And, Gav, I I think this is – I don't know. For me, this is so satisfying because if you go back and we're you know we're talking about the ten year anniversary of Cricket Unfiltered, back in twenty thirteen when the show started, I was super high on Mitch Marsh. I was buying all the Mitch Marsh stocks there were, and then I had a series of disappointments over the the, the coming years as he he struggled to live up to that potential. But you know, going back ten years, you know, he was a he was a prodigy. He came out of the under nineteen team. He was touted as being the most talented cricketer from his family. And, you know, looking at Sean and Jeff preceding him, he was, you know, no, he was seen by Australian cricket as this great white hope, a bit like Cameron Green is now. And finally we're seeing that class come out. Such a great series for him.
2: Yeah. Well, even if you look back 12 months ago, uh, all Australia was in praise of this new emerging all-rounder Cameron Green. I think Bitch Marsh was almost sort of, almost a forgotten man. And, and here he was he was you know phenomenal with that t20 world cup campaign that australia won in october in dubai um in 2021 and then it's just now it seems like mitch marsh is the like you said the the stock that you want to buy at the moment because yeah. and i'm bad and i mentioned that I, I think it's just a freedom I, I don't think mitch marsh is trying to prove to anyone now i think he's like just well elite sportsman, I'm here to go enjoy myself, I'm not going to judge myself. People have already judged me. It can't get any worse. So why not enjoy it? And sometimes, you know, we go and play multiple sport or we have different tasks. And when we know, when there's nothing to lose, that's when often sportsmen or even just general us in as, as humans tend to perform at our best. And I think that's what's coming in to Mitch Marsh. And it's, it's as long as he stays in that mindset. And I think that's the key role of a coach or, or, or the skipper and Pat Cummins um, and I, yeah, I, I just like the way he's just going about his business at the moment
1: Yes, a fantastic series for him I do think one technical thing he's made a change is he plays a little bit uh, he plays with softer hands in defence now. I think one of his issues um, I mean, in the past was he, he used to go quite hard at the ball mm. defensively. And I, I think now he's actually a, a better defensive player. And obviously when he goes hard, he can hit the ball as hard as anyone. But he's just got that ability now to keep out the good ball where I think early in his career he got caught on the crease a bit. He would go hard at the ball. But he, he seems a lot more relaxed, better balance, and just overall – you know, he's really living up to that potential. Um, also in the series, I thought Matthew Short um, played mm. pretty well at the top of the order, that he was given a chance to open with with Travis Head. He made a nice 66 in the second match. Uh, but he's someone, you know, who's done so well in the Big Bash. I wasn't quite sure how that would translate um, into international cricket, but I actually think he's he's looking better and better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like,
1: he, you know, he he played a lot of shield cricket as well
2: for uh, for Victoria. So you're thinking, I think it's taken, like, you know, Matt Short's probably 28, 29 years of age now. You, I think it's getting that time where cricketers probably need to understand what's the best format, where they'll get the maximum amount of them, what suits them. And I think Matt Short's probably realised that with that phenomenal BBL season that he's had and yeah you're right i think once that confidence is there and given the choice to you know open the batting with travis head and i think that's where i think a leadership of someone like a mitch marsh where he said just go out and enjoy yourself we want to smash the first ball and i think that's where going back to mitch marsh i think you got to credit him because he knows what expectations are so when a new when he's taking on a leadership role he understands that how much pressure matt short might feel so you know he might just say, look, even if you're going out and getting bulked first well, this doesn't matter, I'm giving you three goes. Don't feel... Because Mitch Marsh felt the other way. There was a whole lot of expectations and many failed, uh, like, didn't succeed. So I think that's probably hit, uh, helped Matt Short a bit as well. But, yeah, outstanding series. I mean, uh, Travis Head's in there from my... what I've, The whispers I've heard, you know, they want to make, keep him in that top order because they sort of I uh, want to see how he gels in that top order spot, looking forward to uh, looking ahead for the World Cup as well.
1: Yes, and speaking of Travis Head, he made a wonderful 91 of 48 deliveries in the final match, Australia chasing 191 for the win. Also, Josh Inglis, 42 off 22. I do really like the way he plays. You know, we know how good Head is, and I think at the top of the order, he's going to make a home for himself in white ball cricket in both formats, and especially once Warner goes out of the 50-overside. The Uh, You know, you could bring a right-hander up to open the batting with um, Travis Head. The other player, Tim David, now he's an interesting one. He made a blistering 64 in the first Mm -hmm. match. I think of 28 balls, it was just phenomenal. Didn't get much of an opportunity in the the next two games, but he and Mitch Marsh were just imperious in that first match, and and as a result of that he's been added to Australia's one-day squad for Mm -hmm. the rest of this South African tour, so there's five matches left. I think that's as backup to Glenn Maxwell in the World Cup because Australia needs a finisher in those last 10 overs of a 50-over match, and they've earmarked Maxwell clearly to play that role with Stoyness. If Maxwell goes in under an injury cloud, they need a backup, and Tim David couldn't be a better power hitter to come in with, you know, 10, 15 overs in a one-day game and just go off.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I said it on the podcast last week. I didn't have him in my 15. But more you think about it, just, you know, the injuries Glenn Maxwell's had, who's the ideal backup? Um, and it probably is Tim David. Uh, but, you know, I think he has to limit the role. I think what the selectors have to consider is, say, you could, can Tim David do a job in there's still about 15 overs left in an ODA game? Um, so I, I think that's – but if he's there as a backup um, – you feel like he could make his way into that f- sort of 15, 16 man squad to India. So, uh, look, I, what, what I like technically about it, like there's been a lot of theories about how to sh- shut him down, is to sort of bowl outside that, you know, off stump um, and, and, and block a certain areas because he's a pretty much a very much a leg side dominant player. But I think Tim David, you saw him in the IPL as well, evolve his game of, of power hitting sort of over sort of point and even third man area. Uh, because the general tendency is to bring anyone, everyone up, and sort of he doesn't actually slice the ball or play it towards the sort of behind point. is he, not, but I think he's learned that over time. So I think, and in that blistering innings, you saw Tim David hit. I think he hit three or four fours, like sort of in that cover point area. So I think that was really encouraging.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's he could be a bit of an X factor for this World Cup. Um, so that, that's the batting. They're the, re, the real standouts for me. You know, Mitch Marsh, Head, David Short. I did like that contribution from Josh Inglis in that last match. And I, I do think Inglis is a better option than Alex Carey in our T20 side. I think he's a he's a more dynamic player. He's beautiful with the gloves. I mean, that's stumping of yep. Tambi Sanger in the first match where – he whipped the bails off so quick. I, I, I'm so impressed yeah. by Inglis. Not to say I'm not impressed by Carey. You know, they're both great cricketers. Yeah. But from what I've seen of Inglis up close when we've been doing shield matches, everything he does drips with class.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think time might come quickly post sort of the World Cup. where I think we'll probably see Inglis as the keeper in the T20 format. Um, I, I just I think he's just got so much... Um, yeah, He's, he's dynamic, um, and, and I think Alex Carey is, while he's good, I don't know about if he has the same uh, power-hitting capacity as, as someone like an English. Um So I, I think so. It could just come down to how many left-handers are in the middle and right-handers, because that's become such a key nature of sort of the T20 match-ups and, and strategies.
1: Mm. I also think Inglis could make a run at the test spot as the the keeper. I mean, Kerry's done well, but he hasn't nailed it. He faded away terribly on the Tour of India. He faded away terribly on the Tour of England with the bat. I mean, he's a great cricket, Don't get me wrong. I think, you know, we're very lucky to have him. He's a very good gloveman. But I actually think English could put real pressure on Alex over the next couple of years.
2: I Right now, I disagree. I think there's a big gap there, Menas. I, I actually think, yeah, I think Alex Kerry's just, you know, like, just look at his glove work. Yeah, it did taper off a little bit at the back end of sort of India um, and also the back end of sort of the Ashes. But you just got to remember, like, in those sort of conditions that he's not very used to, he hasn't had a lot of experience in, I thought his keeping in India it was phenomenal. I think he kept you know, even Kairos who who's the Indian keeper. I think that's how mm. good it was. And also in the ashes, yes, he, he did miss a couple of important chances uh, in, in the back end. But I think his glove work is phenomenal. I think not just that. I think he's well loved by the like cricketers. Um, I think he forms a great integral part of that team. What Pat Cummins wants, um, you know, he, he wants these guys who are sort of you know they fit in really well. Um, you know, there's there's no, and I think, you know, Nathan Lyon has a great rapport with him. Travis Ooh. Head has a great rapport with him. So I I, I think so. I, I genuinely believe that, you know, I think Alex Kerry is there for a bit of a long run. I, I think he's phenomenal.
1: Well, judging by the loyalty of the Australian selectors, I would agree with you that they don't tend to make fast changes. But I, I do think Inglis is upside with the bat could be more than carried. Like I think English could be that Gilchrist that comes in and smacks a runner ball eighty and changes test well, matches.
2: Well if, if Australia want to play that way, then that but I can't see this team going down that method. I mean, you know, you got Smith and Marnus and even someone like a Cam Green, a Carey, you know, they're, they're, look, a lot of people have just gone out and probably said that they've seen England bat in the manner that they did and suddenly every team wants to cap mm-hmm. But you gotta have the that. Yeah, well, you got to have the right artillery. And I think Australian cricket, I mean, let's face it, the Ashes was close and probably Australia didn't win it, but they did retain the Ashes. So, and I think Kerry fits into that. I think just the way that you probably want Australia to play, I think he's an ideal person. If they go down in two years' time with the new upcoming stars, you know, maybe two or three years on, where Smith is out, Manus is out, or oh, sorry, Warner's gone. If they're looking for a more sort of Travis Head kind of approach, um, and who knows, Travis Head might uh, sort of want that approach because he could. I'm calling it a revelation here, menace. As I think Travis Head will be the next Australian skip, i no doubt about it. Um, okay. But, but yeah, like so, he might build that, and he English might fit into that. For now, the way Australia is playing, oh, I think Alex Carey is ideal. He's perfect, um, and I reckon unless he has a really poor not just the summer, but in, in general. But he's just like a type of batter who always gets runs. So I, I still think, Alex Gary, you've got to look at it. He might not get the big score, but I think tendency is he always scores those 20 and 30, and there's an important sort of a 60 70 run partnership. So, um, and Rich yeah, has like been so him. important. Yeah. So I, I don't think so. I, th- I think English is a long way away.
1: All right. Okay. Uh, Now, let's get into the Australian bowling um, from this T20 series and some real standouts. Firstly, Sean Abbott. He played all three matches, eight wickets, economy of seven runs per over, average per wicket 8.75. Stoinis also took five wickets, which is a good series Mm. for him, economy, 8.14. Berendorf played one game and took a couple of wickets, Tanvir Sanger, the revelation, played the first game of the series after Zampa was ruled out with a bit of a flu. And he took four for 31 on debut, the best figures by an Australian on debut in T20 cricket since the very first T20 international. I think that was Casper Michael Kasparitz took the best figures back then. And Nathan Ellis also uh, played three matches. Economy, 8.6, took three for 25 in that second match. So I think here is where... There's a real, I guess, philosophical approach that Australia needs to look at. I think Sean Abbott and Nathan Ellis are making claims to be better white ball bowlers than Hazelwood, Cummins, not not Stark, because I think Stark's record is unbelievable. But, you know, Sean Abbott, he's making a pretty strong argument to be included in Australia's first-choice T20 Uh, side.
2: Uh, he is, uh, no doubt about it. I, I just, you know, they got a sort of, a, a, and I guess a series like this against South Africa is a really good indicator and they probably need more series leading up to, you know, the World Cup in West Indies and, and America in sort of, uh, you know, 12, 12 months' time or 10 months' time. They need to play a lot of and be put under pressure. Um, yeah, and I like what they've done. You know, they have dedicated roles for Abbott um, and Ellis. They sort of took the, you know, did ball with the new ball, um and it, it, it once you're put under pressure it's how you handle the pressure uh that will sort of determine if they're ready for that next level against the best players nathan ellis has played IPL. sean abbott probably hasn't been put under that much pressure i look at a couple of sean abbott's uh games for australia in the t20 and you know he, he's been he's bowled a couple of the penultimate overs and has been smacked around so you know, and I look at someone like an Andrew Tyre as a good example, it's like a phenomenal cricketer, a phenomenal death bowler to BBL. You, you want to go to him. But there were a couple of clutch matches in T20 International where Andrew Tyre hasn't held up. He's been hit for 18, 20 runs. Now, that could be the nature of T20 cricket, but...
1: Well, I think the, if, I think the batter's got, got to know his slower balls, pretty, pretty, his yeah, variety. Of...
2: Yeah, I think so. You're, you're, you're right. So I think but, but changed-
1: I think Abbott. But I think Abbott, though one thing about Sean Abbott is he's got beautiful seam position at the moment. The way you know the way he ball, bowls with the new white ball is phenomenal. I think he gets more yeah, out yeah. of it than any of the other Australian bowlers, apart from maybe Stark. But even you know yep. Abbott's oh, seam position and angle on the crease, shaping yeah. and swinging away, it's, it's very compelling.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right. I think Sean Abbott can bowl with the new ball and the white uh, and, and in the back end. I think he can. In fact, I think. He's a good shot to go to India because if the, the nature of the pitches are dry, we haven't got a lot of dew, he actually gets a bit of a reverse swing as well. So, um, look, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard. I don't think they're quite they're there. You, I understand they're pushing these
1: two, Cummins, and, but that's, you know, I, I, don't, I think that's... But do you think, though, different... on in Indian wickets that, you know, we've got three tall fast bowlers, Dark, Hazelwood, Cummins, don't you think an Abbott or an Ellis with a different um build different delivery action trajectory that's a different release point would be valuable
2: yeah yeah i agree i I don't disagree i so i think one of them will get picked for the world cup which one it is uh i don't know i think australia it would be be big three quicks the adds a bit of batting probably a bit more experience as well knows a lot of the new south wales players um, yeah, you're right. I think it's a close. So, but I, going back to your original question, is he pushing those two out? Not yet, I think. Yeah. And Abbott's still a sort of tall man. I, I, I think he's he still hits the deck a little bit more than Nathan Ellis. Um, so if they're looking for totally different, then I think Nathan Ellis sort of, you know, but he did get smacked around a little bit. But, uh, look, if I was to take anyone, I think Australia will play the three quicks. Their, their secondary option will be... Use the all-rounders, and then it will be if need really need be, then play like a Nathan Ellis. But I, I would, my gut feel right now is I, I would take Nathan Ellis over Sean Abbott.
1: Oh, I like it, and I, I agree. He does offer something different. But just how gutsy does George Bailey and Co. want to be? I guess the other one for the bowlers to talk about is Spencer Johnson. Played two matches, I took a couple of wickets. Dreadfully unlucky in the in the third game had one of the South African batters, Plum LBW, in his first over and the umpire didn't put the finger up. It, it was umpire's call, but you would expect that one to be given out. It was full swinging back into the right-hander and he, he didn't get the luck. But again, Spojo, Spencer Johnson, certainly I think you'll you, – I don't think you'll see him in this 50-over World Cup. Uh, no. It'll be struggle to get in there, but I think you'll see him playing a lot of cricket for Australia. All right, that is it for the T20 series in South Africa, Australia, dominating South Africa at home. Three zip. What a great way to start our campaign, not just for the 50-over the World Cup, but also the 20-over World Cup next year. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to continue on with the cricket headlines.
0: You're listening to the Cricket
1: Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas, joined by my co-host, Gav Joshi. We're going through the cricket headlines. Uh, Just to look, staying with the Australian side, the Australian A side played New Zealand A side last week in a four-day game at Allen Border Field in Australia. New Zealand, they absolutely spanked the Australian A-side by 225 runs. And I guess the player for New Zealand to look out for there is Scott Kugeline, who took nine wickets for the match. Do you know much about him, Gav?
2: Yeah, he's been around for a while. Uh, He he sort of swings the ball. Um, He played a bit of IPL as well. There's a bit of a... um, he had a bit of an off-field incident. That sort of a uh, bit of a setback for him as well. It, it could be rapid. And has had some stress fractures, but yeah, he does swing the ball. Um, it's just like a bustling kind of bowler. And we've um, seen a bit of him in in, in certainly the uh, white ball format for New Zealand. So, yeah, he, he's got plenty of potential. I, I think he must be in his mid twenties or late twenties. Uh, Minutes, Well yeah, uh, don't quote me on it. But yeah, he's I'll been around that. for a while. Yeah, he's been around for a while. So, but, He's 31. Uh, yeah. He's 31, yeah. So, yeah, he's been around the uh, New Zealand setup for a while now. Um, but it, it was interesting. Yeah,
1: to he, see. De- he destroyed no. Australia Ray. So, he took nine wickets. A poor performance from Australia Ray at home, getting spanked by the Kiwis by over 200 runs. Certainly not going to be knocking the door down for test selection with that. Caleb Jewell, the Tasmanian left hander, made a nice 78. He's sort of one player to look out for. All right, staying with domestic cricket, Gavin, this is something close to, I guess, our hearts because we'll be commentating on a lot of um, Shield cricket this summer. But there's been some big changes at Cricket New South Wales after a very disappointing year last year where they weren't able to win a Sheffield Shield match for the first time since the, the 1930s. And listeners to this podcast will have heard plenty of cricketers, Phil Jakes, Mike Whitney, Stuart McGill, all talking about what a catastrophe that was! Well, they've made big changes, and I like them. The first one is Moses Onorekes has been given the captaincy again of the Shield side. I think that's a good a good selection because he's probably one of the only players that's assured of of starting the season off in that top order. So I think it was good that they picked him as captain.
2: Yeah. it's Quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, where's Curtis Patterson at? That's probably what I want to ask you, Minutes. Rather than, uh, you know, yes, Moses is, they've given him all the captaincy and responsibility across three formats, but I want to ask you, what does that mean for Curtis Patterson?
1: I think Curtis Patterson's got to concentrate on scoring runs. He's had two middling seasons. Last year was very disappointing. The year before was just okay. Uh, but he's he's in such a sharp decline that I think it would be important for him to relinquish the leadership or it's been taken away from him because he was dropped last summer. But I, I think it would have put too much pressure on him. I still think he's got a huge potential as a as a batter. Curtis Patterson, you know, made that fantastic Test 100 against Sri Lanka. 144, I think, on Testaboo. So, uh, oh, so he's his second Test. So I think there's a big upside to Curtis Patterson, but New South Wales needs him to stand up. Like, he's not assured of selection. He'll have to earn his spot. He'll have to keep his spot. Um, so his career, you could say, is at a crossroads.
2: Oh, it's a big call. I, I mean, to look one thing for sure curtis patterson i mean he got some real rough decisions last year in the shield um you know probably stranded it down the leg side a couple of times a couple of lbws probably didn't go his way um so uh, look i think and, and where would he bat there, there's a lot of competition now at sort of that number six lot you know we have seen cameron green mitch marsh has certainly come along um but, you know, you think... Yeah, I don't think Marlis, he, I,
1: I'm not talking about him getting back into this reinsert. I'm like, he might not even be playing for New South Wales if he has another bad well, year. Uh, well, that's a big call because, like you said, I mean, you look at... You, you sort of touched on it. Is
2: is Moses just in this team because he's the only person they can pick? And if that's the case, and that's what we've probably got the ring of these changes that will come to, is where is New South Wales cricket at? I mean, he we were you know, four years ago, Jack Edwards, Jason Sanger... Um, likes of you know Jukes is probably just maybe a little couple of years behind them in, in his development, but why haven't these players been able to sort of cement their squad not uh, not just cement their uh, name in the in, in the playing eleven, but score runs? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably why. I think there's probably a big reason, and I think. Th- Throughout these uh, sort
1: of I, I think Australia, New South Wales cricket has got obsessed with pathways and talent and not actually what makes sure. up a good cricketer, the ability to score runs and take wickets. How often have you seen players with all the talent in the world but just can't translate that to runs on field? You know, there is a skill with, you know, being able to score runs and sometimes it's not the pretty players that, that score runs. Look at Cameron Bancroft, one hmm. of the least attractive players to watch in Australian cricket I'm not saying he's a yeah. bad player but if yeah. you look the, the eye test you would say yeah. oh this guy's a, a good cricketer well, but then he's leading he led, led the shield last year with hundreds um so I think that's where cricket is yeah. uh, cricket new South was may've missed out like someone like a Dan Solway doesn't yeah, look like good. a great batter but he was averaging 40 for first class cricket and they dropped him like yes. why? Yeah, no,
2: you, you've got an absolute fair point. I mean, who's scoring the runs and, um, and and how long is, you know, like someone like a Jason Sanger be given a go? Um, Jack Edwards, mm-hmm. we've talked about this, Matt Jilks. I think one important thing is if you look at someone like a Matt Jilks, I think he's he's been forced to open the batting. I hope that he bats at number six um, this summer and they give him a good go because of this, you a know, couple of the games that we were commentating at last year, once against Queensland, I think he, you know, look, Queensland, a really good attack, and Stichetti and um, Michael Neisser. And and despite all that, I think New South Wales a bit of trouble. He went and scored, I think, a 70-odd, a 90-odd. Um, so I I think so. I think Matt Jukes is one guy to look out for. But you're right. I mean, what is stopping these developing players? And are they getting the balance right? You talked about Moses Enric. Does he – what number does he bat? Like, what role does he have to play? Mm-hmm. Does he bat at number six? And – you know, do they give these guys a go? Or, as I've always said, I, I, I like an experienced guy like a Moses batting at number four and, you know, a, a young debutants or the inexperience at three and five. But what's inexperience? I mean, look at Jason Sanger. Do you call him an experienced cricketer at, at, at this class level now, Mendes?
1: He, he is experienced and he should be doing better. That's just the cold, hard reality. Um, now, now I just want to look at some other of these changes because I think this is where – perhaps New South Wales could turn the corner. They've brought on Michael Bevan and Shane Watson, uh, Bevan to be a specialised batting coach, and Shane Watson to offer, offer mentoring and mindset training for players. I had Shane Watson on Cricket Unfiltered a couple of years ago now, and we, we I trapped him in the studio for an hour and a half, and we went through his whole career. And, you know, one thing that was evident in that discussion was that Shane – only got control of his mental game at the end of his career. Mm. And I actually do think Shane Watson could offer a lot to these young players with mindset and mentoring. Uh, And I think Bevan could offer a lot as a batting coach. I mean, he averaged almost 60 in first-class cricket. So, you know, they're two players Mm -hmm. I think are great to have around.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean... And probably a batting consultant needed. I mean, Chandika, Dorizika was, uh, you know, he's moved on to Bangladesh now as a head coach, uh, but you probably need it as you know, Phil Jakes was the head coach. And maybe sometimes the head coach and the batting coach, it's just a, such a responsibility that Phil Jakes probably had to look over the whole team and probably, mm-hmm. you know, in his sense, I'm not saying he's not doing his job, but there's just so much work for him that there's no batting expert there to work with these guys so I, I think I like that I think you know Michael Bevan if that is if his role is just to work as a batting consultant help develop the players and work on the technical side of things then I think it's a really good move um, I, I it's okay to have so many people but it's important that, that you know that their roles don't confuse the players if I'm a player and if I'm having a technical problem do I go to Michael Bevan do I go to uh, you know uh, Greg Shippard do it who do I go to uh, I think that's so it, it's fine to, well, but I, think Shippard,
1: those... I think Shippard's more your sort of conductor Shippard will stand at the top and he's happy for the batting mm. coach to take the lead on all that stuff and and I think one of the knocks on New yeah. South Wales cricket is that not a lot of the veterans had been in invited into the setup recently
2: yeah and I think I mean, I think Shane Watson thing is perfect and we talked about Mitch March started the show. Exactly the same thing. I think their careers are sort of in a way similar. There's so much expectation, so much talk, and then it wasn't until the back player. Like I, I still think this is a big call, cool menes but um I think Shane yeah. Watson is you know probably one of the best Australian T twenty players. I, I think he's oh, phenomenal. You no, know, so but it took him a while to get there. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's good inclusion. Like I said, if there's clarity about their roles and, and how, you know, the players know who to approach, as long as there's no, you know, sometimes even consultants can step on other people's toes a little bit, as long as that doesn't happen, as long as a player has not got too much information in his head from different sort of a consultant to a batting coach to a bowling coach to a, the, the head coach, then it's totally fine. If, if if New South Wales cricket have worked that out, um, it, it can only for the, be for the better.
1: Mm. And then final changes to the selection panel. And I love this. Jeff Lawson has been made a selector. Stuart Clark has been made a selector. Also, Greg Mayle and former blue David Friedman, the left arm leg spinner, mm. he's been um, made a selector. What I love I about David,
2: it I think David Friedman's been part of the pathway system for a while as well. And mm. speaking of a lot of the New South Wales players, they're really highly breaking um so c- clearly you know he's one of the guys that he, he, even some of the a couple that news bo Casson, who's across the horse in wa who's talking about the the role that freedom's played amongst the young because both of them are part of the development um pathways and how important they've been for for getting these guys to a certain level so and i think matters there is a challenge to take them um you know i'm not saying pathways coaches are a little bit more hands-on i think they probably have to fine-tune techniques while i think when you look at someone like a Greg shepherd or maybe phil jakes they're sort of sitting at the top do they actually have time to be at? do the players need adjustment it's more sort of the mental side of the game um so uh, yeah it'll be interesting because some pathways coaches like doing that i don't know if they can actually handle the top Because Mm. I think that's out of their nature to be able to do it. But of course, sometimes they almost some want to jump to that opportunity because, you know, it's more for your profile. It's also more for, you know, your career advancement. But you have to realise if it suits you. And... I've seen I've talked to a few players and, and, and sort of and they feel that the development coaches, they're great at that level, but I'm not sure if they're sort of great and I could give it a really good example, not from even not from Australia, then maybe from from India, where you know Rahul Dravid, one of the legends of the game, excellent at working with sort of the NDA team, the under nineteen teams, but as soon as he's gone to the Indian team, he probably hasn't got the results of someone like the rubbish Astri. So you know, even I look at a Ricky Ponting. I think he's a really, really good sort of, you know, development coach and pathways coach and batting consultant. But Ricky as a head coach, whether he wants to do it, uh, who knows, he probably will be. But it's a big jump. It's a different because these guys are really hands-on. And I don't mm. know if the full sort of the managing team sort of thing suits them While Clearly, it suits someone like an Andrew McDonald.
1: Also, I love Jeff Lawson and Stuart Clark. Stuart Clark being involved in the in the setup again. I mean, Jeff Lawson, to me is one of the underrated greatest cricket mm. minds in this country. Uh, I just think he's a superb um scholar of the game. He reads the game well. And I like the fact that Stuart Clark pulls no punches. if he if If someone is not performing in the blues side, he will say you've got to drop them. Um, so yeah, I think yeah. New South Wales cricket is headed in the right direction.
2: Yeah, and I think it's to be able to connect, and we hear it from multiple sports now. If you have someone, and no disrespect respect to sort of Jeff Lawson, but, you know, there, there are some players and there's some things that, can they connect with that next generation? Um, you know, where, you know, mm-hmm. Jeff Lawson probably as a coach, you know, in dressing rooms, phones weren't part, essential part of lifestyles. Now they are. So, you know, how do you, the attention span probably for most people in the world is less how do you manage that? So, these are sort of challenges more sort of for maybe a Jeff Lawson. So, that's why you find a lot of young coaches coming through who can connect. Um, so, I think New South Wales, just looking at the coaching, I think Chen Watson playing that. Greg Shippard, you've got to credit him because he's been around in the system for a long time. Michael Bevan, probably an old sort of style coach. So he's, uh, you know, Jeff Lawson, as you mentioned, is in the setup now. Stuart Clark also, um, who don't, they don't take any. Bullshit.
1: Um. And I I think it's a good mix because I think uh, Jeff Lawson and Stuart Clark are uh, involved with Sydney Premier Cricket. All right, Mm. I want to get on now to the Big Bash draft because last night we had the Big Bash and the WBBL drafts and some interesting selections. So the Adelaide Strikers got Rashid Khan, um, England all-rounder Jamie Overton, who was player of the series in the 100, and Adam Hose, who I think they had last year. No surprises yeah. there, but then the Melbourne Stars have gone for Harry Brook, Harris Ralph, who's obviously played there a lot, the Pakistan quick, and Uza, Uza, Usama Mia. Usama Mia,
2: he's a, he's a leg spin bowler, I believe, mm. from uh, Pakistan. Quite tall, I think he's six foot three. And they like the way he gets a bit of bounce, so um, that's that, that's one of the reasons.
1: Um, the the, 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 the concern of the Stars with, with- Yeah, the concern for the Stars with Harry Brook is there's speculation that he won't actually be playing much cricket because he's playing all formats for England. They're due to go Mm -hmm. to India early next year, and so he might not actually come to the Big Bash, so that would be a big disappointment for the Stars. I thought the Sydney Sixers did great. Tom Curran and James Vince obviously played um, for the Sixers before, but Rahan Ahmed, the England spinner, the leggy, yeah. um, Picked it for sixes. I think that's a, a great pick. Um, and then the Hobart Hurricanes, Chris Jordan and Sam Hain. I think Sam Hain played at the Heat last year. Again, we know how good Chris Jordan is in the T20 game. And then they've picked a former New Zealand international, but he's he's actually got the American flag next to him, Corey yeah. who we could see lining up for the Yanks in the World Cup next year so they're good picks i think so far for the sixes and the hurricanes the renegades big picks for them they only went for two but they got quinton decock and mujibur rahman i mean yeah. Mujib on that wicket at marvel could be devastating and we know how good decock is um so I, I like those picks they didn't go for their their third and fourth picks because they want to try and sign some international players after the draft yeah um, and then you got Sydney Thunder went for Alex Hales and Saman Khan. Uh, obviously, Alex Hales played a lot for the Thunder, so that was no surprises. Uh, the Heat they got Colin Munro, Sam Billings, and Paul Walter, the England player. And then finally, the Scorchers went for Zach Crawley. We all know what he can do. Nightmares from the Ashes and Laurie Evans, who of course was their wonder pick from the last couple of uh, last couple of seasons. So overall, um, not bad. I think for the the WBB, sorry, the BBL draft, not too many surprises. Some of those clubs are going to sign some more internationals um, when they. I think there's some clubs that want to know who's going to go and play in the sort of um, Emirates T Twenty League that starts mid January. Yeah,
2: yeah mid January is it? Maybe. I think yeah, I think, think it's like January 18th yeah.
1: or 19th. So That's for right, example, yeah. I think Rashid Khan is already. Told the strikers he's leaving around then, so he's available yeah. sort of for eight of their ten games and none of the finals. So, look, well, I'm not. I don't love the big bash draft. Like I, I think it's a good idea and it'll get better, but it certainly doesn't have a lot of the excitement that say uh, an IPL draft has because most clubs seems oh. to get get what they want.
2: They do, but it's also the eligibility of the player and how long they're going to be there for. I mean, we're still uncertain with some of the T20 competitions. I mean, we saw with South Africa they we're trying to run their T20 comp the first time it fell through. So um, is that comp going to run? Um, well, it went last uh, year, so I think it'll happen this year. But... Yeah, well, exactly, and that sort of clashes. So uh, if that clashes, then what's the story with Quinton de Kock? Like, there's
1: just so exactly. many questions um, about this. So... Yeah, I don't know about the draft. That's it why it like. takes away from it. That's why it takes away from the draft because you'd be like, oh, great, they signed someone oh, for four games. Wow. Yes, um, yeah,
2: yeah. All
1: right, yeah. and then looking at the WBBL draft, I think the big one is Marizana Cap um, was signed by the Thunder from the Ren- uh, from the Scorchers where she played so well for them. And uh, I think she's the biggest signing of the, the WBBL draft because – um, is such a good player. She excelled for the Sixers when she played in Sydney. So I think, um, you know, that's that, that was the biggest moment of the draft. Sophie Devine stayed with the Scorchers. Alice Capsey, the England star, went to the Melbourne Stars. The Hurricanes got Shubnam Ismail, great player. This is the first ever WBBL draft, so it was draft. historic. Yep. Um, Amelia Kerr went back to the Heat. And the Sydney Sixers signed Chloe Tryon, the. Yes. Um, South African, South African all-rounder who bowls some good left arm spin to try and plug that gap left by the injury to Sophie Eccleston. Uh, so I thought the WBBL draft, again, a bit like the BBL draft, not too exciting, but but that little um, go probably, from the Thunder to get cap was the big one.
2: Yeah, probably not the timing for the draft. I think everyone's still sort of you know in that footy mode and how many eyeballs are going to be on the cricket maybe. I think it needs to happen now because you're you're sort of chasing players, you know, which are going to start maybe, especially WBBL in October. And it's so start it drafting
1: Australian players because that would be great yeah. to see, you know, clubs battling over Elise Perry or Elisa Healy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's the next stage. But the draft has been done. Yeah. Stepping back, still a lot of great talent coming for the Big Bash this year in both the men's and women's competition. I'm not being paid by Cricket Australia to say this, by the way. I, you know, despite the challenges of other competitions, I think uh, the WBBL will continue to be the, the premier yeah. women's competition at the moment. And I think um, in the, the BBL, now that it's a 10-game competition, you'll still get these players staying for longer. longer. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is you might get to the finals like like we had last year and it'll be like, where are all the international players gone? And, and yeah. unlike last season, you can't plug the gap with Australian test players. That's what worked so well for last year. All the international players left, but the test players for Australia became available and we had those magic moments where Steve Smith um, was able to <laughs> score a couple of hundreds and... Um, yeah, so I just don't think we'll get that because the test side's playing in late January.
2: Yeah, well, Steve's got to, you know, finally went through all the hoops to play. <laughs> that was exactly. the challenge. And so let we'd... him play,
1: finally. <laughs> all right. Um, we're going to take our final break and then we'll be back. Uh, I've got to one, uh, one thing I want to raise with Gavin. We've also, when we come out of the break, you'll hear my interview with Australia's new leg spinning star, Tan Sagar. Saga.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh,
1: G'day Tanvir, congratulations on your performance. i um, just wondering if, if your mind sort of looked ahead a little bit uh, to possibly playing in the World Cup in India and what that would mean to you.
3: Um, I'm usually not a person to think about the future. Obviously, I know there's a lot of people talking about it and there's preliminary squads and stuff for it, but obviously that would be an unbelievable thing, Like, especially not playing cricket for 12 months and then coming in playing a few games in 100 and now making my debut. It would be an unreal six months to be a part of, and especially the squad we have is such a strong squad. I just do see it tough to break into, but... Playing back home where my parents are from and where the heritage is from, I think it would be an unbelievable thing playing in the World Cup, playing against such good teams and showcasing what I can do there as well will be, I think, quite an amazing experience. It will be definitely surreal, but as I said before at the start of this, i like to stay in the present as much as I can and just worry about that later on if it does come to it.
1: And what did your parents say after the performance overnight?
3: Oh, Super proud. They were obviously, unfortunately, couldn't be over here, but they were watching back home. I know it was late back home. It's 2 or 3 in the morning, but they were super proud, super happy. I know even if they were at work today or have been at work today, they would have been super happy and had an amazing day, and I really am grateful for the sacrifices they've made.
1: Well, what sort of relationship do you and Adam Zampa have? You know, how much is he helping you? Um, yeah, How much are you working together?
3: Um, I've had a great relationship with Zorb. He's been very helpful. He's... More than open to and friendly to chat about anything. And every time I see him, we always have a good chat, even if it's not about leg spin, just anything in general at all. And he's very nice. He's helped me with a couple of things that I've been working on as I'm trying to develop more skills in the white ball area. And I think Zorb is a great person to talk to, even if it's just about general cricket or if it's about leg spin, off-field stuff, whatever it is. He's been very helpful and very open.
1: we tell Tell me, um, who, who who sort of, who, which leg spinners inspired you to take up the craft when you were younger?
3: I guess there isn't a leg spinner that made me bowl leg spin. I used to bowl pace. I think everyone knows when I was in my junior days and then up until 12. I thought I bowled quick, but I was actually quite slow. Mm-hmm. And then I changed to off spin, but then my fingers weren't big enough to actually spin the ball and get over it. So then I changed to leg spin and then. I think because I didn't have anything after that, I just stuck with it.
1: And when you sort of look at other leg spinners, is there anyone you try and emulate or model yourself on, like a, a Kumbhle or a McGill, Warn?
3: I think there's many great leg spinners going around now, and I get to talk to a few now that I've been to a few franchise leagues now, and I really, even if they're not similar to the way I bought, I just really like talking to them and absorbing information like Rashid Khan, I love talking to Even I got to meet Shadab while I was in America. It was great chatting to him just about leg spin or tactics and bowling, uh, technical work. But I really like the way Yuzi Chahul bowls from India. I think I'm really similar to him, the way we bowl, speeds, etc. So I always try and watch each leggy and how they bowl. And even Adil Rashid in England, like obviously Zorb here. Like, I just try and watch what they do, try and see if they do anything different or little subtle things that make a big difference. Because end of the day, all leg spinners are trying to be attacking and get every batsman out. But I'm trying to obviously learn as I'm growing now and develop so I can have more skills and more artillery. And so when I am obviously given more opportunities, then I'm ready to go and trying to dominate and make my captain's job easier.
1: And um, is, is the ultimate dream to wear the baggy green and play test cricket or do you more, you know, focus on the white ball game?
3: Um, oh, definitely a dream in the back of my head is to get the bag green. I'd love to play test cricket for Australia. I'd love to play one-day cricket for Australia. I'm so grateful I get to play T20 cricket as I did yesterday. But I think right now I'm just very happy with the opportunities I'm getting, being so grateful to get... Um, picked in the squad after not playing for 12 months and then getting this opportunity now. I think I'm just very happy with where I am right now.
1: Good stuff. You should be. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Uh, good. Well, that was Tanvir Sanger after his magical debut, taking four for 31. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Gav, what did you think of those comments from Tanvir? Lovely young man.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think
1: the one that stood
2: out for me is I think he's defined his style of bowling. Well, when, he, when you asked him about what kind of leg spinner, and he said Uzi Chahal, which means he, he feels he has the, the like he w- wants to keep a bit of loop in his bowling, but something which is different to Adam Zampa. Adam Zampa is almost, I look at it as a bit of a, like, you know, he bolts into the pitch and back of the length and his accuracy and hitting that sort of, you know, four or five-metre mark uh, with a flatter trajectory is almost his strength. Um uh while well, I think is will go for some runs and he'll probably, you know, change his line, he'll get a bit of a loop as well. Um, and I think, you know, so I have this f- fantastic record about uh, uh, Chahal, where I think when he actually came through to play for India and became a phenomenal part of their success where he, I think there's a couple of IPL matches, uh, seasons where every time he got hit for a six, um, I think 80% of the time, the next ball he got a wicket. Um, so that's something I don't know if Tanvi has spoken to him about that, but you know it just shows. And sometimes Jahal's not that standard. You know, he he, he will change his line. Um, you know, he bowls sort of some balls more probably attacks the, you know, more the middle and leg stump rather than bowling outside the off stump. So not just a containing spinner or a, a attacking leg spinner. Uh, and I think that's good to know that Tanvi is is realizing what his craft is and. You know, he's not trying to replicate Rashid Khan, but he's actually found found out the identity on uh, or, or the type of bowler that he he sort of wants to be or he's trying to be.
1: Mm. Yeah, and what a fantastic story! You know, immigrated to this country from India, now you know knocking on the door of the Australian side with his maiden T20.
2: When to When boys, um, high school manners? That they all make them all down there. You know, same, uh, same I, school as you. The same school as me, lots, lots of good there cricketers, go. Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh, you know. Um, what happened yeah. to you? Oh, we got to give other people a go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, great Great to speak to Tanvir and he's got a huge career ahead of him and, uh, yeah, nice to talk to him. All right, a couple of bit cricket news before we uh, wrap it up and get on with Can't Let It Go. Um, just want to touch on the sad passing of former Zimbabwean around a Heath streak who, who passed away over the weekend at the age of 49 uh, from cancer, uh, wonderful cricketer and far too young to pass away. So we send our condolences to him, to his family and um, everyone affected by the loss. But, you know, I was lucky enough to see him play a lot when I was growing up, um, especially in that 1999 World Cup where Zimbabwe, you know, punched above their yeah. weight and yeah he was a great all-rounder 216 test wickets 239 one-day international wickets 499 first-class wickets also made six uh, six first-class centuries one test century and yeah very sad passing
2: yeah really sad news uh, I think he was a coach for a while as well. But yeah, just, you know, I think his wife's put some photos on social media and, you know, he probably didn't look in the best shape as well. So it's a very sad news and much loved. And like you said, that, you know, that late 90s, early 2000s Zimbabwe team, my God, I man, I reckon if we had the similar team in the World Test Championship, I think they would upset a few teams that they would really push some of the, uh, you know, the teams going around at the moment. But that, that, that was a different generation. But, um, yeah, very sad news.
1: Very sad indeed. All right, let's get into the segment we like to end the show with, which is can't let it go. That that little bit of cricket news, you just can't let go through to the keeper. Gav, you can start us off. What's your can't let it go for this week?
2: Well, the can't let it go is the Asia Cup is being played in Sri Lanka, and I can't let it go because they're playing in, you know, in, in, in candy where, they know this is the, the monsoon season. This is where it affects the matches, get affected. There was a lot of talk of moving them to a different place, like could be Colombo, it could be Dambulla, could be a different part of Sri Lanka, which probably don't get affected. Now, here it is, India-Pakistan, one of the great rivalries. We've had, you know, Bangladesh also have taken on Sri Lanka, which is sort of curtailed by the, you know, the weather. Surely,
1: If you know it's going to rain, you've got to play at a different location, Minners. (laughs) And so they'll never play cricket in Sydney then. So for those (laughs) that missed out, um, I I think the the rain actually saved India because India were bowled out for 266, um, some great bowling by uh, Pakistan. Shaheen Shah Afridi took a few wickets. And then uh, the rain came and sort of saved India's skin there because um, Pakistan might have chased that down pretty easily. Just just a quick one. Do you, do you think there's a chance that we'll ever see an India versus Pakistan test at the MCG? Uh, Crash and Horn wrote something about it last week. What's your gut feeling?
2: I don't think it's going to match any broadcasters' times. So that's where the revenue is. I mean, it, I think uh, Crash and uh, Benny sort of alluded, it has to be an afternoon, day, night test match, but that's 9am in India. Not many people are probably watching that. I um, unless you know it. It could be on when maybe it's some some sort of. It's like four
1: pm and four pm and played till midnight. Uh, well, I still reckon you'd fill the stadium. Well, can, can they
2: keep the lights on at the MCG past one o'clock? I don't know.
1: Maybe yeah, probably not. Maybe maybe they
2: have to ring up the council and maybe ask them. <laughs> I don't know. They have to get all the sort of legalities right for that to happen.
1: Would be great though. All right, Mike I can't let it go is um, sticking with an article from Ben Horn from News Limited. Um, he writes, Alex Carey has opened up about the cruel and vicious online attacks on his family, which followed the controversial dismissal of Johnny Besto in the ashes. Um, A- Alex Carey talked about how his wife uh, was harassed online and abused, even his kids were. And uh, Alex Carey said he didn't take it too long. Uh, ben Horn reported that there was a relentless stream of vile abuse aimed at his and his wife Eloise and his young children by faceless online trolls. And look, the England England fans aren't alone in this. There'd be fans from all around the world that um, troll yeah. people, but it just continues, you know, what I, What I ascertain that um, Australia won the moral ashes because our fans were a lot better behaved. Their fans carry on like pork chops when we were <laughs> over there. This is further evidence of us. Alex Carey is the nicest guy in Australian cricket. Um, you should never be targeting someone's family. Um, you can make comments about a dismissal if you want. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think I, that is I, disgraceful. I can't wait to, for you to host this
2: podcast in, in at you know, H-Baston or even the holly World. I think that might, that's your ultimate in, uh, aim for
1: the. No, no, I'm going ashes. to the I'm going to the army army next to ashes. Um, the trumpeter, Simon Finch is a big listener. Uh, the he leads the trumpet and next to ashes. I'm going down there. I'll tell them face to face, like they'll and they'll all be so drunk they'll probably try and fight me. Um, you know they'll be like you know knee deep in pints singing vile songs. But I'm going down. I'm going down to take it. Um, so, the podcast could be over at that yeah. point. You might be on your own there, members. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wave to you. You wave to me as I'm like pulled apart. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that's my can't let it go. The England fans further disgracing themselves. All right. Well, Gav, thanks um, so much for the podcast. I want to tell the listeners. Um, so, last week I dropped two interviews Jackson Bird and Jenny Gunn. So, yeah. we talked a lot about Jackson, Jackson Bird's test career. We also, talked about his move up to the New South Wales team. And then um, also interviewed one of the England legends, Jenny Gunn, who played for England, I think, 260 times almost. Fantastic yeah. all-rounder, won multiple Ashes and World Cups. So go back and listen to those Men as Masterclass. They're great interviews. Um, also, um, there's uh, I said in the last show, but the, the email address is in the show notes. Send us in your World Cup squads. We'd love to read some of those messages out. And also, um, if you want to support the show on Patreon, uh, the link is in the show notes. Gav, where can the listeners connect with you and do you want to promote anything?
2: I well, I'm promoting the podcast. That's why I'm here, Menes. Uh, of course, uh, that that's all I need for now. Cricket Unfiltered is the place to listen to me. Of course, there's a couple of radio shows that call up uh, me during the week or sometimes when there's something happening in cricket, but... Want to listen? You know, you you know my Twitter handle uh, at Gamfi underscore cricket. Um, look forward to doing a, more with you on the podcast, of course. Commentary coming up as well. Um, it's going to be a big
1: summer. Indeed. All right, Gab. Well, great to talk to you, listeners. Thanks for listening. And the plan is, we'll probably be back next week with a full episode. Um, we might catch up later in the week if we can get someone to jump on with us. But, yeah, back to the regular re- recording roster where we'll be recording early in the week, every week. And then when summer really ramps up, Gavin, and I'll be doing two episodes a week. And hopefully we're going to announce a new third, well, a fourth co-host because Jaleesa is still part of the show. She's just taken leave for the last six months, but she's still part <laughs> of the show. So we'll be able to announce a fourth voice. Um, hopefully in the next two weeks. Very exciting, um, you know, current first-class cricketer. All right, listeners, thanks, Gav. Thank you.
0: This is a Piccolo Podcast production.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.